But let me say this, we can't be free of sin that we refuse to acknowledge. You see, the first step to healing and wholeness and freedom is simply to admit our sin and repent. Hallelujah. Father, we just open our hearts today to you, Lord, and we say that, Spirit of God, you're welcome in this place. Do what you want to do in this place in Jesus' name. Do what you want to do in our hearts. And we say, Lord God, we love you and we want you to have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to start by reading Matthew chapter 16 and verse um, uh, 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Praise God. So we're doing part three of Unstoppable. And, you know, I think it's important for us uh, to see what the Lord was saying here. He said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, we are the church and we are unstoppable. Devils can't bind us, trials can't stop us, and storms can't overcome us. Why? Because God is with us and in us and for us. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. And when God is with you, you simply can't be defeated. Amen? And this is why we must know that he is building his church and there is nothing that hell can do to stop him. And that's why hell can't stop us because we are the church and Christ is building us. And so we looked at firstly how we become unstoppable when we discover our righteousness. And this is my, my third week um, in, in trying to deal with this uh, uh, point. But I think it's an important one. Um, Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6 and um, uh, it, it reveals that the Lord is our righteousness uh, Jeremiah 23 and verse 6 um, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness um, Psalm 45 and verse 7 says uh, you love righteousness and hate wickedness and, you know, I believe it's talking about God, but it's also talking about Christ and how, you know, the Lord loves uh, righteousness and he hates wickedness. He is our example. Job 33 and verse 26 in the New Living, when he prays to God, he will be accepted and God will receive him with joy and restore, to, uh, restore him to good standing. So through Christ and the cross, we've been restored to good standing. Young's literal translation says, He maketh supplication unto God, and he accepteth him, and he seeth his face with shouting, and he returneth to man his righteousness. So everything that was lost in the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden has been returned to us, and so much more. He has returned to man his righteousness. And in the New King James, He shall pray to God, and he shall delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. He restores to man his righteousness because a revelation of righteousness will literally transform your life. You know, as a pastor, I see two great needs in the body of Christ, among others, but uh, you know, there are two that, that for me predominate, and one is a great lack of walking in holiness, and the second is a great lack of, of, of understanding um, of our righteousness. And you know, this is the reality. One undermines our witness, while the other limits our effectiveness. If we don't walk in holiness, it undermines our witness. And if, we don't, if we're ignorant of righteousness, it limits our effectiveness. Because how can we bring others uh, to, to find peace with Christ the King if we are not confident that we have peace with Him ourselves? Okay, And yet sadly, this is where many uh, sincere believers are at. They love God, but they're not sure if God loves them. 
They pray, but they're not really sure if God hears them. And so they're more mindful of their failures than of their righteousness. They hope they're forgiven, uh, but again, they're not quite sure because, you know, like Samson, after he had been blinded, you know, they're blinded to, to, to who they, they, they truly are, and they've been relegated to, to, the, to the level of, of just being a slave, uh, going in circles, rather than, than living the abundant life that Christ purchased for them as, as, a, as a forgiven right. Righteous um, and, and uh, liberated uh, son or daughter of the king. And so Galatians 5 and verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So the Bible says you have to stand fast in liberty. And um, you know one of the, the devil's most effective approaches is to bring believers back um, into legalism, uh, dead religion, and bondage. Um, I'm reminded of one young man that used to go to our church many, many years ago. And, you know, he left. He got offended. I don't know what happened. But I remember I met him a, a few months later. He had joined, you know, this little group. And, uh, and, and it was only a few months after he had left. And he was now questioning his salvation. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, oh, you, you can't really be sure you're saved. You have to work for it. You know, you have to, you, you know how, you have to, 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 to earn it. You can't really know you're, you're saved. You see, sadly, Satan had brought him back uh, into legalism and unbelief. This is why Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 Galatians deal, deals a lot with the whole uh, idea of freedom, grace, and, and legalism. Um, but uh, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. So you're not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And it says, um, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul is essentially saying, if you can save yourself, Jesus did not need to go to the cross. God could have just given you the recipe for salvation, but he had to go to the cross because, again, all have sinned and fallen short to God's glory. We need a savior. And so th this is the reality. Righteousness is by grace true faith and not by works. Um, uh, Philippians uh, 3 and verse 9 uh, uh, addresses this and it simply says, um, <clears throat> Philippians 3 and verse 9, um, and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is true faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I mean uh, every religion offers to you a form of, of righteousness um, you know, that's why you have people going to Mecca and people going to all parts of the world and doing all sorts of things. Um, I remember I was on a plane to Turkey one time and I saw all these men with bleeding heads because they'd been whipping themselves, um, uh, you know, as part of the, the, the ceremony to, to attain uh, righteousness or right standing because this is something that transcends culture and time and nationality because mankind knows they're sinners. Deep down, people know they're sinners. Even those who reject God and deny His existence know on the inside that they are sinners. And so religion offers to you a form of righteousness, but the Bible talks here about the, the righteousness that is from man and the righteousness that is from God. And um, it says, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is true faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. There is only one righteousness from God, and that is the righteousness that you come that comes through believing in Jesus Christ and through the cleansing power of his precious blood. So righteousness is by grace, um, uh, true faith, and not by our works. But like so many others who had gone before him, this man started in the, in the spirit and ended up in the flesh. Galatians chapter 3 um, uh, again deals with this. And verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And so even in Paul's time, people started in, in the spirit and then ended up in the flesh. And this is why, again, we have to um, you know, really understand uh, righteousness because it is righteousness that sets you free. Amen. And so Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 1. Um, I have a lot of Bible verses here uh, this morning on righteousness. But I think it's very important because it gives us a foundation for understanding. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Jesus Christ reigns in righteousness. Is he reigning in you? Amen. And so uh, verse 17. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. So if you don't understand your righteousness in Christ, you won't have peace. You will constantly be disturbed. You're going to be having nightmares and panic attacks and anxiety and fear and worry. And you're never going to feel like you're ready to to stand before the Lord. And so, again, righteousness sets us free in Jesus' name. So free to serve the King with joy. Amen. Because the Bible says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Glory to God. Jesus is our Savior. He has saved us from sin and shame and guilt. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said this, What do you receive Christ as a Savior from, if not from guilt? You know, that was the great American revivalist, Jonathan Edwards. So he understood Jesus saves us not just from sin, but from guilt, from the effect of sin. And yet so many believers are ruled and ruined by a constant sense, you know, constant sense of guilt and, and foreboding. Um, you know, b- because they have a burden that never lifts. They have a, a, a shame that they never overcome. And consequently, they're never able to shine for Christ. Because the Bible commands us, arise and shine. So if you have no joy, you need to come back to that place where you rediscover your righteousness. And where you rediscover what Christ did for you on the cross. So that you can walk in that joy. The greatest advertisement... The greatest advertisement for the gospel is a joyful believer. That's why, that's why you look at some Christians, they look like an undertaker. The devil's been working on them. I can see it as a pastor. They've lost their joy. And they're just, you know, because I, I, I understand. I mean, who wants to see a smiling undertaker? It's not appropriate, you know. They have to... They have to control themselves. But that's not how we're meant to be, amen? We're, we're people of the, the, the light. We're people of the day. And we, we, you know, the Bible says God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness more than his fellows. And so again, if we understand our righteousness, we will have joy. And sadly, the reason why some believers are so depressed looking is because they're sin conscious instead of righteousness conscious, amen? And religion is to blame. Because religion has emphasized our failure rather than our forgiveness. It has relentlessly pointed out our sin and our shortcoming rather than focusing on God's remedy for sin, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why we don't have to look over our shoulder. That's why we don't have to be whipping ourselves or condemning ourselves or walking around in shame. You see, it's time for us to refocus unrighteousness. And I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 15, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is a beautiful story of righteousness restored. Amen. And um, uh, we're going to read here in Luke uh, chapter 15 and verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, uh, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, so divided to him his livelihood. Not many days, essentially he said to his father, because that wouldn't have happened until his father had died, so he was saying, I wish you were dead. And uh, that was a, 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 a very deep uh, wound to inflict on his father. And not many days afterwards, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions of prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. You know, this is reality. Um, some, some affliction people undergo is self-inflicted. 
Um, you know, you make bad decisions, you make foolish decisions, you don't pray before you make decisions, you know, you're going to get into trouble, and there's no use blaming God. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hard servants have food enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I would arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. What, what, what happened here? Repentance. And it says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But he was still a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion on him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, the father didn't even allow him to finish his piece that he had rehearsed. And he said, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet. And uh, because his son was clothed in rags and the father had no desire to embarrass the son. He wanted that son clothed right there. And he said, and uh, bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said, uh, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. This boy had a slave mentality. It was all his, but he wasn't uh, enjoying it. And, uh, but as soon as this son, of, uh, this son of yours has come, who's devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Praise the Lord. Just say that. All that he has is mine. Have you taken what you need? Whether that's healing or peace or provision or direction. So many times we're complaining to God, but we're not taking by faith what he has provided for us. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And this is the beautiful thing. He said to his father, your son. And the father responds by saying, your brother. Amen. And so what was the very first thing the father did? After his son returned to him in repentance. He put the robe of righteousness on him. He clothed him in righteousness in verse 22. And so if it's repentance that brings us to the father. It's righteousness that keeps us there. You see some believers have come to God in repentance. But you know what shame and guilt and condemnation and religion and legalism. Has drawn them away from the father again. You know some of you have lost that joy you got when you first saved. Because you've got back into religion. You've got back into trying to perform and be good enough. And that's not how God wants us to be there. If it's repentance brings us to the Father, righteousness keeps us there. Ironically, the Father had two sons that were far from Him. He had two sons that needed saving. One from sin and the other from legalism and religion. And if we aren't like the first son, let's also make sure that we're not like the second. Amen? Because he had no joy and he had no freedom. He wasn't in, in a whorehouse. He wasn't, you know, smoking crack or doing whatever. He was, he was working on the farm. He was doing the right thing. He was, you know, but he was going through the motions, but he wasn't close to the father. And this is the problem. He had no joy. He had no freedom. And he certainly didn't return, celebrate the return of his brother. Why? He couldn't relate to or walk in joy. That's why he said, what's going on? He, he couldn't understand. And that's the way some religious people are. They really don't understand joy. Because for them, you know, Christianity is about, you know, the, the monotony of going through the motions. And I don't do this. And I don't do that. And I don't go here. And I don't go there. And I, it's all about do, do, do. You know, and, and, and that is the wrong attitude to take. And so, 
Again, I appreciate this is my third week in speaking on righteousness, and I can only conclude that, that some of you needed to hear this, and I hope and pray that it's going to help you. Amen? I'm, I'm very excited about this message. So Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. But when you discover your righteousness and your right standing with God, it sets you free, and it enables you to reign in life as a king. Romans 5.17, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life as kings. How many of you, that like, you, you like the idea of reigning in life as a king, amen? That sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? Amen? So anyway, uh, reign in life as a king. And I, I think it, it's important to understand that it says that two things are essential to reigning. If you look at that verse, there are two things that are essential to reigning. Uh, one is grace and the other is righteousness. Amen? So much more those uh, who received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Have you received, have you embraced righteousness? Have you embraced, you know, your right standing with God? Because many believers haven't. Uh, because sadly, some reject it, and this is why many sincere believers struggle with shame, condemnation, and guilt. And uh, as a direct consequence of this, they never have any confidence before God in prayer, and they certainly don't have any confidence before the, the devil or darkness, amen? And so, but the moment you discover your right standing with God, you become unstoppable. Amen? You become unstoppable. You, you get a, a second wind. You know, I'm standing here in a boxing ring, and you know, you see sometimes a boxer, is, things are going against him, and suddenly he gets one, one smack across the jaw of the other guy, and then he's on his back feet, and, and, and then he's on the offensive. Well, you know what? When you discover your righteousness, you become unstoppable. So how do we access this righteousness? Firstly, repent. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, Repent. <laughs> Nobody wanted to say that. Uh, D.L. Moody said this, until conviction of sin brings us down on both knees, until we are completely humbled, until we have no hope in ourselves left, we cannot find the Savior. You see, as long as you're trying to save yourself, you can't come to the Savior. Like the prodigal son, our sin takes us many places, but repentance brings us home. Amen? And that's the beauty of the gospel. Think about where some of us have been at one time. Bars, drug dens, bookies, strip clubs, gangs, porn sites, lying, betraying loved ones, addiction, prison, false religion, you know, uh, idolatry. But God brought us out. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Verse 11. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 11 do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither fornicators what's fornication two people sleeping with each other before marriage what's adult adultery you know a married person sleeping with somebody else neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible is very clear. It's very black and white. And, and you know, somebody is, is either ignorant of the Bible or lying when they seek to justify these sins. It's, it's right there. Verse 11, and such were some of you. I think that is one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible because when you read that list, all of us can find ourselves somewhere in that list. But it says, such were some of you. You know what were is? Past tense. That's where you used to be, but that's not where you are. Amen? That's where you used to live, but that's not where you live now. Because we've been set free. We've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been delivered. We've been made new. We've been made righteous. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Clearly, the gospel isn't for those with a perfect story, but rather for those with a perfect Savior. We have a perfect Savior. His name is Jesus. Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's able to save you. Glory to God. He has saved you and he is saving you. You see, in Christ, we have a perfect Savior. Thank God that we are saved. 
Your story may be far from perfect. But thank God, salvation is not for those who are good enough, but simply for those who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. You see, some of us were in very dark places, but God granted us repentance. And by God's grace, we walked away. Amen? We walked away. Some of us more than once, let's be honest. How many times have we fallen back into the same old, you know, habits or lifestyles or, you know, issues? Thank God for His grace. Some of us more than once, but, you know, thank God that His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you are glad even when you're not faithful, He is? Amen. We serve a God who is faithful. And this is why, thank God, you walked out of the drug den when some of your friends were brought out in body bags. You left that immoral relationship. You repented of that sin. You turned from that, you forsook that addiction. You see, to repent literally means to turn from. That's all it means. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, that promise is predicated on an if. If we will repent. Amen? And contrary to what some people may teach, repentance is still a valid New Testament principle. Amen? But thank God, like I said, even when we're not faithful, God is. I want to read this quote. Be ashamed when you sin, not when you repent. Sin is the wound. Repentance is the medicine. Sin is followed by shame. Repentance is followed by boldness. Satan has overturned this order and given boldness to sin and shame to repentance. John Christendom, AD 347 to 407. See, this church, this early, early church father had that revelation. You know, I think it's so powerful when he says, uh, be ashamed when you sin, not when you repent. Because sin is the wound, but repentance is the medicine. And, and know that just like the prodigal, your father's arms are open to you even when you have failed. You know, I love to watch, I've, I've, I've been blessed with three boys, but two of my boys play soccer. They're all big football fans, and you know, on a Saturday, I normally take one of them to the match, and I love watching my boys play football. I'm so proud of them. And, um, but you know, I, I hate seeing them get hit and get knocked down, but I always rejoice when they get back up. I'm always cheering them on to get back up, you know, and, and in the same way, God is cheering you on. He's, he's cheering you. Some of you think God is sitting there with, with a, a critiquing you and, and looking to, to, to knock you. No, he's cheering you on. The Bible says, fact is, the grandstands of heaven are full of God's people cheering you on to run your race. You know, Paul said, I, I, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Amen. He ran his race and now he's there in the grandstands of heaven cheering you on to run yours. Glory to God. And so this is why you may have fallen. But get back up again. Get back up again. Start again. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for his mercy. We've all sinned. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. But the answer isn't found in shame and condemnation, but repentance. But let me say this. We can't be free of sin that we refuse to acknowledge. You see, the first step to healing and wholeness and freedom is simply to admit our sin and repent. You know, whether that sin was 50 years ago or five minutes ago, repentance is the pathway to righteousness and freedom. Remember, God can only heal what we're willing to reveal. Satan works best in darkness. And as long as it is hidden, he has room to work. That's why Psalm 51 is such a beautiful psalm. Uh, I just want to read a little bit of Psalm 51. And it says, um, for I acknowledge my transgression. What is that? Repentance. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found uh, just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. How many times has God given me that verse when he was convicting me of something? You know, don't hide it, deal with it. Don't, don't just ignore it, deal with it. And, and it says, uh, verse 10, create in me a clean heart of God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You see, uh, joy always comes after repentance. And uphold me by your generous spirit. 
Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These are God you will not despise. And so we see here in, in, in Psalm 51 that healing only came to David's life after he repented. Psalm 32 and verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. And you'll never, let me say as a believer, you will never be happy in sin. You'll never be happy in, in an immoral relationship. You'll never be happy in, in addiction or any other iniquity or bondage um, uh, that's going on in your life right now. You're never going to be happy. And verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So forgiveness only follows repentance. Forgiveness and freedom follows repentance. The same way as healing only comes after the wound is cleansed and dressed. How many of you know that's the most painful part is cleaning a wound and dressing the wound? But unless you do that, healing is not going to come. And it follows in the same way. If we refuse to repent of sin, it can cause sickness and struggle as well as hindering our walk with God. And, you know, I think a good illustration of that is, thank you so much, Jesse. Um, you know, 1 Peter 3 verse 7 uh, says, uh, husbands love your wives, uh, 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 and uh, 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 husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. If you're married, remember this, you're in this together. He's not your problem, she's not your problem, amen? Love each other and stand with each other. You're a team, amen? And so, uh, but the Bible says that, uh, it says your prayers will literally be hindered if you don't treat your wife right. And you can infer from that if you're not treating your husband right, it, your prayers aren't gonna work either. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. So we're meant to seek not just the kingdom, we're meant to seek righteousness. Matthew 5 and verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, flee youthful passion and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So what's the Bible saying? We need to pursue righteousness. And one of the ways we pursue righteousness is by repenting um, you know, of those things that are unrighteous, uh, those things that displease God, uh, lust, jealousy, uh, gossip, worry, selfishness, laziness. You know, we pursue righteousness by guarding our heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all this, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The new living, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The ESV, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Be very discerning about what you watch and the you know, social media and TV that you expose yourself and your children to. Because if to repent um, literally means to turn from, um, I also believe it infers to turn off at times. Amen? Because it's not just turning from, you know, by direct implication, you can say at times to turn off. I think we need to turn off much of the trash that we call entertainment. And this is why many Christians are becoming desensitized to what is perverted, what is sinful. And in many instances, the seed that they're sowing is resurfacing in their lives in, in terms of, um, you know, sins and bondages in, in, in their life or in their family. So, uh, again, um, we need to forsake these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Major Ian Thomas the one who calls you to a life of righteousness is the one who by our consent lives that life of righteousness through you. By your consent. And this is the problem. Many believers have not consented. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you're sealed to the day of redemption. Some believers, they grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit wants to set you free from some sin or from some uh, uh, iniquity or some, uh, you know, well, that, that, you, know, you know, that's just the way I am. I, 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 I lose my temper. No, that's the devil in you. Amen. I, well, I, I, just, I just have to watch that stuff on TV. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have to download that rubbish. Amen. Jesus set you free 2,000 years ago. Amen. But again, like the quote says, let me read it. I think it's a very powerful quote, Major Ian Thomas. The one who calls you to a life of righteousness is the one who by our consent lives that life of righteousness through you. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
Because while our righteousness is right standing with God, you could also add that it's our right walking with God. I know this is probably not very popular preaching in today's, you know, woke liberal church. But you know, as the church, we need to get back to truth. Church isn't about being cool. And it's certainly not about being woke or popular. It's about declaring truth. Truth that transcends our culture, our nationality, our time, our area. Truth transcends all of those things. And as the church, we must get back to it. And we must get back to loving righteousness. And you know what? If we don't fit in, so be it. Who wants to fit in with a world that it's on its way to hell? It's not just right standing, it's right walking. And you can't have one without the other. Martin Luther, we do not become righteous by doing righteous deeds, but having been made righteous, we do righteous deeds. You see, real repentance leads to real life change. And so too, if we say we have repented, but we refuse to change, we're really no different to Judas, who threw the money back at the Pharisees. He was sorry that he was caught, but he wasn't repentant. And this is why, again, he wasn't sorry for his actions. And uh, Proverbs 11 verse 4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The new living. Riches won't help you on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. Clearly, righteousness, a right standing with God, results in right living. And if it doesn't, you didn't get the real thing. Some people, I think, needed to go back down to baptism one more time, okay? But you know what? If, if it doesn't lead to right living, you didn't get the real thing. 2 Timothy 2.19, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Do you know in the Greek what that word depart means? It means to remove, actively instigate a revolt, desist, depart, Draw away, refrain, withdraw yourself. It's time for some of you to revolt against those things that have had you bound for years. 1 John 2.29 If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The King James, it says, uh, everyone that doeth righteousness. You see, righteousness leads to right living. But right living doesn't always lead to righteousness. This is what religion mistakenly presents people that, you know, you can somehow be saved by right living. No, it's by faith. Mark 3 and verse 1. I read this last week, but I think it bears repeating. Jesus went to the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed a man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come here in front of everybody. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went out and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. You see, the healing of the man's hand illustrates that with the Pharisees, the principle was more important than the person. And I get it. The principle was the Sabbath. You're not meant to do work. But you know what? There was a greater principle than that, and that is the love that God has for people. God cares about people. Okay, and, and unfortunately with them, the principle was more important than the person, and the system was more important than the Savior. Because you see, religion and relationship are two very different things. Some people have just got religion. They don't have a relationship. And let me say, religion doesn't save, Jesus does. John 18, verse 28. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them. And they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. This is the irony. They wanted to keep the Passover feast while rejecting the Passover lamb. And this is what religion does. You know, religion causes us to miss the big picture. 
You see, and yet the disciples made the very same mistake in Matthew chapter 6, where it talks about how, um, you, you know, when Jesus... Uh, Mark chapter 6 and verse 51, uh, you know, Jesus did the miracle and it says, uh, Then he went up in the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. You see, the disciples made the same mistake as the Pharisees and we can as well and completely miss what God is doing because our hearts are hardened. Um, you know, John, uh, Mark 16 and verse 9. Now he rose in the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven, cast seven demons. He went and told those who had told him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard he was alive and had seen, uh, been seen by her, they did not believe. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest. And they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And this is the beauty of God's mercy. In spite of the hardness of their hearts, he was willing to work with them. And in spite of our shortcomings and failures and hardness of our hearts, he's willing to work with us. Amen. And so thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his love. But it's so important for us to, gra- to, to grasp this. This is why it's, it is vital that we maintain a humble, repentant, believing heart. And so, how do we access this righteousness? Firstly, repent. Secondly, believe. He hideth our unrighteousness with his righteousness. He covereth our disobedience with his obedience. He shadoweth our death with his death. That the wrath of God cannot find us. Henry Smith, 1560 to 1591. Henry Smith was a great British preacher. They referred to him as the golden-tongued preacher. And he, apparently he only lived maybe 30, 30 years or so, but you know, some of the things he said were absolutely profound. And uh, I was only thinking yesterday, I was just finishing the, the message, and I just thought, you know, even here in Ireland, there's been such hostility towards uh, Great Britain. And yet, when you study historically how, how so many amazing powerful anointed men and women of God came from that nation. I sometimes wonder if a lot of that hostility has been rooted in, 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 in a religious spirit and, and you know just something that fostered by Satan. And uh, you know today we just bless Britain and we thank God for the men and women that has come from that nation and we pray you're going to stir that nation up again to, to, to be all it's called to be in Jesus name. Amen. And we're not going to waste our lives you know hating on people. Amen. That haven't done anything to us. And all the people say Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, um, self-righteousness says you need to try harder. True righteousness says you need to simply believe and receive. I want us to read Matthew chapter 22 and verse 1. This is a, a parable I've never really understood until recently, and it made much more sense. Jesus answered and spoke to them, saying, uh, by parable, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged the marriage for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my ox and my fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they all made light of it and went their way. One to his farm, another to his business. And the rest of them seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed him. When the king heard about it, he was furious. He sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go out into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the guests... But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. 
This story, to me, is very much about righteousness. Because it's interesting, in the same way as, as the robe of righteousness is so significant in the parable of the prodigal son, so too we have the wedding garment um, in this parable. And this wedding mar- garment makes the difference between inclusion and exclusion in eternity. And I believe in this parable, Jesus is speaking about the wedding uh, supper of the Lamb. You see, we are clothed in righteousness the moment we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. However, without Jesus, you will go to hell. And you can have religion coming out of your ears. You can have statues in every room. You can give away all you own. You can pray every living hour that you have. And you will split hell wide open. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is what this parable is talking about. The wedding garment, I believe, is the robe of righteousness. Because like the parable, you are either clothed in righteousness through faith in Christ, the wedding garment, or you will be cast out. Thank God that we have an advocate with the Father. And this is why we look to Christ and the cross. 1 John chapter 1 and verse, uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. And it says, my children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world. We have an advocate. An advocate is somebody who comes alongside and speaks for you. Like when you go into court and you have a, a, you know, a barrister who, who, who speaks on your behalf. And so I, I think it's beautiful that God clothes us in righteousness and we have an advocate. You see, there is no such thing as redemptive suffering. You cannot save yourself. Christ suffered for you on the cross and he said, it is finished. There is nothing you can add to or take from what he did on the cross. And this is why it's so important for us to get this revelation. Because you must believe what he said in his word. But pastor, I don't feel forgiven. Feelings have nothing to do with it whatsoever. The Bible says the just shall live by faith, not by feelings. Our righteousness is by faith, not by feelings. You know, we believe he is with us even when we can't feel it. We believe that we are forgiven even, even when we don't feel it because his word says it. Amen? Not because we feel like it. R.C. Sproul, we are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. You see, all of us stumble, but not all of us receive the grace that God offers to us. And this is why we must believe his promises and not our feelings are the lies of the devil. The Bible says in Revelation 12 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's why the reformers got that revelation. Sola scriptura, Latin for scripture alone. Our faith must be in the scripture as opposed to what our feelings tell us. Amen. And, and, and this is what um, uh, William Gurnall, 1616 to 1679. Thou must be righteous and holy. Before thou canst live righteously and holily. You know what he was saying? It has to start on the inside. You, you, you don't get... Uh, you, you must be, become righteous before you can be righteous. Amen? He was simply saying righteousness has to become real on the inside before it can be manifested on the outside. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? And so the mistake that religion makes is it tries to change us from the outside in. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jerry Bridges, to be justified means more than to be declared not guilty. It actually means to be declared righteous before God. It means God has imputed or charged the guilt of our sin to his son Jesus Christ and has imputed or credited Christ's righteousness to us. You see, righteousness, therefore, is about the great exchange. God exchanged your sinfulness for his holiness. And this is why we can come confidently before the throne of grace, knowing God hears us, knowing we are loved, knowing we are forgiven. Even if we've messed up five minutes ago, thank God for the blood of Jesus. We are righteous. The question is, do you believe it? 
Do you believe it? Do you believe that there is now therefore no condemnation? You see, some of you were willing to accept some. Amen. And that's the way some of that's the way I've lived much of my Christian life. It's constantly feeling of, of, of inadequacy and feeling like God's mad at me. And, and, and but when you discover that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it sets you free. But the question is, do you believe it? Because our righteousness, our right standing with God comes through faith and faith alone. And this is why Satan wants you to put your faith in your feelings and not in what God's word says. Give me five minutes and I'm finished. How do we access this righteousness? Repent, believe, thirdly, obey. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. You see, when we obey, we become unstoppable. What did Jesus say to the servants in John 2 verse 5? Whatever he says to you, do it. That is good advice that Mary gave. Whatever he says to you, do it. Hell is literally terrified of the man or woman who is determined to obey God no matter what it costs. And yet in reality, our churches are filled with disobedient children of God who do what they want and live like they want and blatantly disregard God's word. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 31. Here Jesus Christ is talking. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jesus here was quoting directly from the Old Testament, Genesis 17, 7, Genesis 20, uh, 26, 24, 28, 21, Exodus 3, 16, 15. Each time God said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, uh, uh, what was spoken to you by Moses? Read it. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? This book is God speaking to you. Are you listening to what God is saying? Are you taking the time to read what God is saying? Don't complain, I can't hear the voice of God if you're not reading his book. Because the only part of the Bible you believe is the part you obey. We're called to obedience. Obedience is what is meant to characterize a child of God more than anything else. We're called to live a life of obedience. Amen? And so, again, not spoken by Moses, but spoken by God. Jesus made it very clear that the word of God is God speaking to you directly. And so, when you disobey the Bible, you're actually disobeying God. Like the song, we must trust and obey. Isaiah 55 and 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You see, the unrighteous man is unrighteous because of his thoughts. This is an inescapable principle or pattern that many believers are ignorant of. Because many times we're dealing with the fruit without, while we're ignoring the root. The unrighteous man is unrighteous because of his thoughts. Okay, so like I said, too many times we're trying to deal with fruit, but we refuse to deal with the root. If we refuse to deal with unrighteous thoughts, we will continue to struggle with unrighteous acts. You see, obedience is better than sacrifice, 1 Samuel chapter 15. You see, Saul forfeited his calling because he refused to obey God's command. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected thee from being king. It grieves me as a pastor to see men and women that are clearly called, clearly anointed. God has a plan for their lives, but they are insisting on going their way. And the way of the transgressor is hard. At the end of the day, all you can do as a pastor is tell people what the word of God says. Ultimately, it's up to you what you do with it. But there are some people who are going to stand before God shocked to discover that everything they gave their lives to has just been burned. Just like hair stubble, it was of no eternal consequence because they insisted on going their way, they insisted on disobedience. You can marry out of God's will. If you're married, then make it work. But I'm just saying, you need to pray. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. 
Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected thee from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Saul forfeited his, command, his calling because he disobeyed God's command. You see, to every miracle there's God's part, there's our part. Amen? And so this is why Matthew 28, Jesus said, teaching them to obey. Like I said, the life of a believer is to be characterized by obedience. And lastly, confession. 2 Corinthians 4.13 In keeping what is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. We who have the same spirit of faith also believe and therefore speak. You see, the power of God's word is activated in our lives by confession or it is nullified by our confession. You know, you're saved by your confession. As the worship team come forward, you are saved by your confession. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For the heart man believes unto righteousness with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. We confess Christ as our righteousness. There is tremendous power in our confession. And this is why if all we do is continually confess our sin and our failure and our weakness and our inadequacy, that is what we will be conscious of and it will rob us of faith. Some of you are constantly confessing over yourself, oh, I'm just such a, a miserable, good for nothing. I just never seem to be free. I just never seem. And you know what? You're getting exactly what you say because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, you know, I'd like us to finish by making a confession of faith. By making a declaration of who we are. Because remember this, stand to your feet today. Say you can or say you can't. You're right both ways. Some of us need to change our confession. You're not a miserable sinner saved by grace. That's who you are, that's not who you are. You're not a sinner. If you know Jesus as your savior, you're not a sinner. You, you may sin, but you're not a sinner because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I'd like you to just take your eyes off yourself for a moment. Just close your eyes. Just lift your hands to the Lord today and say, thank you, Jesus, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am loved. I am free. I am redeemed. Come on, say it like you mean it. I am redeemed. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I declare today that I have been redeemed. I have been washed in the blood. Jesus Christ is my Lord. My past no longer has power to determine my future. I am a child of the Most High God. I am loved. I am anointed. I am free. I am filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God surrounds me with favor as a shield. I can't fail because God doesn't fail. And I belong to Him. You hear that devil? I'm God's property. I'm a child of God. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Jesus. If you believe that, could you give a shout of praise to the Lord? If you just remain in as you are for one moment, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. I want to read this quote by John Wesley. I preached on the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith. While I was speaking, several dropped down as dead. And among the rest, such a cry was heard of sinners groaning for the righteousness of faith that it almost drowned my voice. But many of these soon lifted up their head with joy and broke out into thanksgiving, being assured that they now had the desire of their soul, the forgiveness of sins. Does your heart cry out for that? Does your heart cry out for an encounter with the King of Kings? It should. But remember this, righteousness starts with regeneration. And maybe some of you were saying those things and in your heart, you weren't really sure if it was true. Because you see, you are not righteous until you have received Christ. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, for one moment, I want to ask you this question.
And this is a question that we will ponder for eternity. And the, 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 the resonance and, and effect of this question will determine where you spend it. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Job declared, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. Do you know that your Redeemer lives? And more importantly, does He live in your heart? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? For I know my Redeemer liveth, and He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Do you have that confidence of being able to say, I know my Redeemer lives, and that, you know, the day will come when I see Him, when I will see God with my eyes, I will see the Lord, because I know I am saved. If you don't have that assurance, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, this is your opportunity. I've done my best to preach the gospel and to preach about the righteousness of Christ, but if you've never received the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, you can receive it right now. What must you do to be saved? Because we stand on the edge of eternity. None of us knows what tomorrow may hold. But you have today. You have right now. And the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, this is your opportunity. If you would like to surrender to Jesus and accept Him as your Savior and receive the righteousness that He freely offers to you, I want you to put your hand up. So if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, put up your hand. Because that righteousness is offered to you today. But the time will come, just like I read in the Gospel of Matthew, whereas if you do not have that robe of righteousness, you will be cast out. There is such a thing as too late with regard to eternity. So if you don't have that assurance that you are saved and that you have peace with God, put your hand up and I'm going to pray for you today. Don't let pride cause you to miss your moment.